Vegas Nation sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. Download the app and get a bonus up to $500 when you sign up. You're listening to Vegas Nation. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for Takeaways with me, Heidi Fang. Welcome, everybody, to the Takeaways edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. It's your host here, Heidi Fang. And today I'm joined by the Associated Press writer here. He covers the Raiders. He's all over town. In fact, his name is Willie Ramirez. You might have heard him before on the radio and caught his stories as well. And this episode today is brought to you by... Station Casinos, STN Sports. Download the app today and get a bonus of up to $500 when you sign up. I'm really excited to have Willie on today because I haven't ever done this and we work like two feet away from each other half the time when we're going through everything with the Raiders. So thank you for coming on, Willie. Excited to have you. For years now, we've worked together. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, when, when I got your message, I was like, I was kind of, you know, now it's become somewhat routine or passe to get, you know, to have uh, some of the local guys with the radio reach out or, or, or some late night podcasts. But when I saw the message from high, I was kind of excited. I felt a little honored because I have never been asked by you. So this is kind of cool. No, that's just kind of my bad. There's so many people that you get commonplace with. You know, we talk all the time. So it's just like, you know, you just kind of overlook sometimes what's right in front of you. Isn't that life's true, true story, right? <laughs> well, and I think also, you know, this is my first real, real full year in, in terms of a quote unquote beat writer. Um, you know, when you all have been covering this for so long since they made the announcement, they were coming to Vegas. And then last year I was limited to what I could do this year. It's I've somewhat treated it like a regular beat. So, um, yeah, it's been, and it's been, it's been, uh, opening for me because this is my first full blown season as a pro football beat writer. So I'm excited. We're all glad to have you on board with the Raiders. And it's been, like you said, it's been a kind of fun year doing it. Um, Being here at the Henderson facility for training camp was certainly new. And just being able to watch some of these new guys on the field has been really entertaining. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit uh, about one of the pieces that you have coming up on Nate Hobbs. We'll get into that. But first, I want to talk about what's going on with this team. We know that there are some injuries where linebacker is concerned. Javen White, UNLV guy. I know you know a lot about Javen White. Uh, yep. He's struggling with the knee injury right now. And then Nicholas Moreau with a foot injury, which can be very concerning. I wanted to first get your take on the linebacker depth and what you think the Raiders will do in light of the injuries. Well, I mean, I, I, obviously the Raiders, you know, John Gruden, they didn't see a rash, the rash of injuries like they're enduring at linebacker during training camp. Um, you know, and John Gruden had a hint of concern in his voice, but also was confident that the unit would be fine by week one. Um, you got to remember that there's only three preseason games, so they, they can they could sort of go into this week. They, they've looked good. They've looked improved. They're 2-0 and going into their final preseason game. Um, a win it may not necessarily be the goal as much as it is to come out healthy. Gruden has said that time and time again at press conferences that we want to have a 53-man healthy roster. Um, so, you know, and there's also a bye week. You know, they, usually they got four weeks of preseason. And you treat that fourth week sort of like a throwaway week. But this week, that fourth week is a bye week. So they're going to have two weeks to heal up. Um that all said, even if you have a droplet of concern when something like this happens, and we heard that it in Gruden's voice mid-camp, 
Um, you somewhat are grasping at straws for depth right now. And what happens if injuries mount during the regular season starts entering your head? If, if we're enduring that now, what happens during the regular season? What they're going to do and how they're going to approach it, I will be intrigued to see for this weekend. And I'll be intrigued to see how things progress over the bye week leading into that uh, regular season opener on September 13th. I don't know if they reach into the free agent pool just yet and think they should ride this week out to see how everyone heals. Um, and that's, again, the benefit of having three preseason games is the league is still starting the second week of September. For sure. And I love that that is the way that it has gone because the whole point was that these guys would be able to not get so banged up in the preseason. Uh, I think of narrowing it down and also because really preseason, you don't want to see any starters. The whole point is to be able to get these rosters down. The Raiders have already made some of their cuts here and they're down to 80. Um, but when you mentioned the linebackers there, I wanted to get your take on the KJ Wright situation. We know that he's been out uh, talking with the Raiders. So this is somebody that has experience with Gus Bradley. He was two years in the Seahawks system while he was there. So what do you think about the, the prospect of possibly the Raiders acquiring a guy like that? Well, I think he would have been an obvious fit. You know, like you said, with, with Bradley, now the team's defensive coordinator, he was a defensive coordinator with the Seahawks when he, and when KJ actually began his career in, in with Seattle. So, you know, it's one thing to have coached somebody in the midst of their career or a veteran that's familiar with, with a coordinator or a head coach or, you know, whatever it may be, but um, th the bond might actually be stronger in the fact that you, you come into the league and you played a couple of years, your first two under a specific coordinator and the energy and the positivity that Bradley brings, you know, now he's running a similar style defense. So obviously it would have been a natural fit. Talk seemingly broke down when KJ met with the Raiders at the beginning of this month, he was actually yeah. here to meet with them. I'm not sure why other than to assume the Raiders believe they were set at the position considering Bradley's nickel packages in the back he shuffled several DBs to newer spots inside to help and didn't see the need to further cluster their linebacker competition with someone who also just turned 32 in July. So you have to wonder if they're wishing they would have signed him, if they wish that, you know, if they're wishing they would have worked something out or figured something out, you know, as KJ, he's turned, he just turned in one of the best seasons of his career in 2020, playing both the Sam and Will linebacker positions. Um, he had 11 tackles for loss, 10 pass defense uh, defended. And, uh, and each of those were the second most of his career. So ironically, with what's going on, it wouldn't shock me to see KJ sign with his name has come up a lot this week. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I know it's resurfaced with the Raiders, even though that they couldn't make, um, you know, come to an agreement earlier this month. But ironically, I saw his name surface with the Baltimore Ravens. I would be I wouldn't be surprised if we see him lined up across from the Raiders week one against you know in, on Monday night football or in that game if the Raiders can come to an agreement with him because they're obviously in need again I go back to what I said off the linebacker depth I think it all depends on how this week pans out how they come out of this final preseason game and how that bye week looks before the opener and how they heal up I think a lot's going to be determined when they get more back from the trainers and 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 reports back from the guys that are injured yeah, I've also heard that the Raiders have worked out 
Mark Barron. So there's another linebacker that they're taking a look at right now, uh, meaning that maybe they aren't going to go down that KJ right path again. So there's, uh, I'm sure, going to go through the process, do their due diligence, find who's going to work out best for this team. Mark Barron, uh, another veteran of the league, 31 years old. Um, you coming, I think, off of uh, – he spent uh, some time on IR, if I remember right, last year. So uh, it was uh, one of those things that I just think, you know, they'll have to wait and see, like you said, with the injuries, how things work out with Javen, how things work out uh, with um, Nicholas Moreau, but ultimately a little thin there at running back. So we'll keep you updated here as we find out more with what's happening with that position. But I wanted to get your take, Willie, on the couple preseason games that the Raiders have had already under the belt of the team, because I feel like there's definitely a new energy around the team this year. And being that you have this, such a fresh perspective, <laughs> you know, coming in, like you said, this being the, the first full year really focusing in on this team. What have you seen over the course of the two games? First of all, I just want to get your take on how cohesive you think both the offense and defense look out there on the field. Well, it's funny because, you know, when, we, when you when you mentioned to me, you know, what we were going to be talking about, you said, where, where's the need for improvement after two preseason games? I look at it like, where's the need for improvement after um, the first several weeks of training camp? The first, you got two weeks and then the preseason game and then another week and then a preseason game. And it, I think it's an overall process because I think what we're going to see is 60 minutes of, you know, we're, we're going to see 60 minutes of sort of what they've worked on at training camp. And do we really have a good gauge? Because, you know, well, who are we seeing play? You know, we, um, we've seen them score 37 points in two games after averaging a league 10th best 27. Okay, last year, 27.1 points per game in two games they've they've combined to score 37 but we haven't seen Derek Carr we haven't seen Marcus Mariota and while we've seen third string Nathan Peterman command the offense he's not the guy who will be out there September 13th against the Ravens yeah what we have to gauge is what I think personally is what we're seeing on offense during drills at the practice facility I think Carr has been exceptional and I think he's got some good chemistry with his receivers I'd like to see them in real-time action against an opponent. I don't think that's going to happen this week because I don't think we're going to see any of the of the, the key guys, Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, any of those guys, and I don't think that we should. Based on you see, you see some of the injuries around the league and you see the injuries at the linebacker position as we spoke about. Now, the offensive line is a work in progress. Um, this is going to be an area I'm intrigued to see against the first-string defensive linemen working cohesively. Um, I want to know how the running game is going to react with new linemen in front. We have seen some of the guys that are going to be worked into the starting lineup in the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive line. Some of the new faces we've seen some rookies emerge in the secondary. So I've seen improvement based off last year, and I think it has to continue, but I think it's based off of what we've seen at the practices and in the, um, you know, in, in training camp and in one-on-ones and in, in, in the seven verse sevens, you know, you have to, there, there's, there's one specific area that I'm just not sure after two preseason games against Seattle, which played somewhat of a vanilla game in the opener. Pete Carroll didn't play a lot of, you know, starters. So it's hard to gauge the Rams. Things got feisty all week. And I think that they sort of went into that a little, the coaches went in a little more cautious after that Gruden broke up that, that practice that, you know, where tempers flared. But one thing is with this running game, as I mentioned, 
The Raiders were in the upper half of the league with 119.8 yards per rushing per game. They ranked 19th with 4.2 yards per attempt. Josh Jacobs ranked 8th with over 1,000 yards and 9th with 71 yards per game. But yards per attempt, Jacobs was 43rd in the league near the bottom with 3.9 per carry. That's something I think that they have to be improved on um, in order to move the chains better and sustain drives especially in the red zone, which is another area of improvement that Gruden, you know, talked about during the, the uh, before any games. I happened to ask him the question after the Seahawks game, which somewhat he somewhat snapped. It's an obvious topic, but he didn't like my postgame question. And it was actually meant to be somewhat complimentary because they went in the red zone four times and they scored each time, touchdown twice, field goal twice. By him calling it a sore subject, to me – it's still something that's bothering him and needs to be fixed. Defensively, I think the biggest improvement that needed to be made has been the brightest component in that it's, uh, that's the secondary. I like what I'm seeing from the entire defensive backfield. And once a healthy unit is established, we're going to see impact plays carry into the regular season and probably help this team in terms of getting the ball back into the offense's hands. Big time. So we're going to come back, talk a little bit more about that and other topics as well here on the Takeaways edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. Stay tuned. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Download and get a bonus up to $500 when you sign up at any of our convenient locations. Looks like tomorrow will be out a little bit longer than white. So uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, we'll have to continue to develop our young linebackers and perhaps find another. Are we talking regular season openers 50 at this point? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to uh, announce any injuries until I have to, but obviously we're concerned about them being available. Welcome back to the Takeaways edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. It's Heidi Fang here, and I'm joined with Willie Ramirez from the Associated Press. He's on the Raiders beat there, and as well as all over town with Las Vegas. He knows it all. If you want to find out something about Las Vegas, Willie's dialed in. Hit him up. <laughs> so I wanted to get uh, back into it. Our, our discussion was there when we left here and you were talking about John Gruden and the red zone. That is obviously, I think, something where the Raiders don't want Daniel Carlson to be the highest scorer on the team. They want, you know, uh, the the wide receivers to step up. They want Derek Carr to get in there and find ways to uh, get the ball to players in the red zone. And, you know, there's so many little things like, I think this team can do that yeah. I've been saying are just little, little things uh, that Tiny, can, yep. yeah, that can bring them up a hundred percent from what we've seen in the past. So um, if you had to take one area right now, Willie, I just, um, I know we kind of talked about it, but like defensively and look at one of those units, um, what would you say right now is the biggest area need on the defense for the Raiders? Well, you know, you, you, you mentioned the phrase tiny things, those little factors. And I think it happens on, in the trenches. And I think it happens on both lines. And you, you bring up defense so, I'll, so, I'll, so I can focus there. But I think two of the players that need to step their game up, and I'm not sure if that's the right vernacular I want to use, 
to sure. answer this question. Just to I improve, think, yeah. Um, well, I, I think in a sense, they just need to have impact moments for this team. And that's Richie Incognito on the offensive line and Gerald McQuay on the defensive side. Because at some point in time, one of the younger offensive linemen may have looked up to or watched Incognito. And the same can be said for one of the younger defensive linemen with McCoy. Richie and Gerald, they're veterans who carry weight in terms of motivation and being mentors. So they need to step their leadership game up and need to have special moments when they step on the field. And, you know, it's not easy to lead in the units they play on where grit and blue-collar work is expected every time you're on the field. So you think about it. Every receiver on the field isn't colliding helmets and mixing up on every play, nor is the running back. Or, or backs, fullbacks, when they're in. Carr, he's touching the ball every time he's on the field, unless there's some trickery going on. But even on running plays, he hands the ball off, he gets out of the way. On defense, DBs aren't always in every play, linebackers neither. Deep in the trenches is where the ball games are won. Mm -hmm. So while I'm sure you know, there are some players who fit the bill of needing to quote-unquote step their game up, I'm calling on veteran linemen like Incognito and McCoy to step their leadership up in order to somewhat ignite and light a fire with a young offensive line that's been retooled, rebuilt, and a defensive line that has to improve its pass rushing skills in order to force bad passes and get that improved secondary in action for errant throwing balls, you know, just 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 you know, bad throwing balls here or there, cause mistakes, wreak some havoc in the backfield. I'm calling upon, you know, as far as stepping up their game. You could, you could name any one of the players. You could name any one of the units in reality because when you, when you open the season six and two and you close two and five as, you know, as, or uh, two and six or whatever, three and five, when you finish the way that that team finished last year uh, and, and, and you look at how this team has finished seasons under Gruden the last couple of years when they were in contention for a playoff at, spot at midseason, I think every unit – needs to step their game up, no matter how good they played. So what you have to rely upon when you have young players on retooled units is those veteran guys who can provide the leadership. And when they're called upon to come into games, they have to make those big plays. They have to prove that on third down, they can make the big block or they can make the big tackle or they can stuff the gap and stop a running play. So I'm looking at Incognito and McCoy to be really influential players that are going to step their leadership up to ignite both sides of the trenches. I tell you, a lot of people have focused because you brought up Incognito on that offensive line and how it has been retooled and what can they expect from it. But I got a lot of faith in Tom Cable, watching him out there, getting these guys ready. The way that he gets no nonsense with these guys, gets them shaped up for any type of situation. I've always been impressed with the way he gets his unit ready. And I wanted to ask, because I talked a little bit there about Tom Cable, about your impression of what it's been like seeing the new guys on the defensive side coaching like Gus Bradley, Ron Miles, Richard Smith, and how they're preparing uh, this defense to get ready. Well, I think that's one thing that Gruden has done is he surrounded himself by veterans, veteran coaches that have the same mentality as him. The old school, grind it out, scrunch up your face, dirty. I mean, when I played Pop Warner football, I got to play two years of my entire athletic existence and 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 I still have deep-rooted resentment you know that I never got to play sports as much as I would have loved to because I love football but I remember in the 70s 
when they grabbed your helmet and they or your face mask and drug you around the field and you know and oh yeah spit was coming out of the coach's mouth and <laughs> and, and 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 doing uh uh whatever they called it back then dead man's alley or whatever the heck it was called and and you had to do it over and over again until nowadays that's a concussion waiting to happen and it's unheard of to coach like that or to imply that toughness I think that that's what Gruden has. I think he has a group of coaches that have that old school mentality with a new school mindset of being aware of how things need to be done, especially in Las Vegas in the heat, so on and so forth. But when it comes down to getting nasty and dirty and grimy and, and digging in, I think that he's, he's surrounded himself, Gruden that is, by coaches that think like him and know how to ignite. You know, Gus Bradley – we talked about we talked about him a lot this training camp in the press room in our stories that were written. I'm sure you talked about him in, in your podcast. Um, the energy that he brings when you're out there and watching him walk from unit to unit to unit. The one thing that I've noticed is that he allows his unit coach, if it's the defensive line, if it's the secondary coach, he allows them to coach while he stops at the station. And all he does is motivate and point things out. If there's a mistake made, the unit coach is the one that's doing the drilling. Bradley's doing the one that's encouraging. When they meet as a defensive unit, Bradley is the one who's dictating. And that is what's important. That's what's important for a head coach to do. A head coach tells his coordinators what he wants to do. The coordinators tells his coaches what, they, what, what he wants of them. And I think that's why the players appreciate Bradley a lot is because he has brought a positive energy where he's allowing – it shows confidence in that each player of each unit should be listening to their unit coach because they – because that man is respected by Gus Bradley. And so when he goes around to those units and he's watching for three minutes before he moves on to the next station, it's nothing but positivity and encouragement and telling them, come on, let's go, and this, that, the other. And then if he has something to say, he either does it behind closed doors or he's doing it when the unit convenes for a, for a defensive meeting. And that's what I've been impressed with most is a lot of these coaches are on the same page. They have the same mentality. They come from the same old school that Gruden does. In old school, you talk about those guys spitting and pulling guys around by their helmet. I, all I could picture is Rod Marinelli doing that. With the, right, yeah. <laughs> pick anybody on the D line. I could picture Rod Marinelli doing that with any with any of those I players. Love to see it. I would love to see that. I, I'd be a biggest fan. I, I, mean, right? I remember that happened to me. My first year of, of tackle football, I don't remember how old I was, playing for the Jubilation Raiders, coincidentally. Um, here in Las Vegas, practicing at Sunset Park, and my old coach Dan Heilman. It was one of the first co practices with pads, and you lie, you laid, you laid on your back, helmet to helmet, and you had to get up and run straight forward, and and whoever got the best of the other one. And I was scared of getting hit. I just, I did, you know, I just, I love playing football. Played street football, light pole football with the Nerf, but as far as tackling and getting hit, I wasn't having it. And I think it might have been five, six times, and I remember him yelling. We are not taking a water break until Ramirez gets this right. Uh -oh. and, and that was the day that I grew up inside of tackle football <laughs> and, and became, a corner, became a cornerback, which is why I'm a big fan of the secondary, especially Nate Hobbs. Well, let's get into that. I mean, you were talking to his uh, high school coach, I believe, right? For a piece that you have coming up. What can you tell us that you, what you've learned about Nate Hobbs? Yeah, he uh you know what? He's obviously been the biggest surprise out of the uh 2021 draft class. He's been um 
just making plays, you know, during the seven-on-sevens, during the one-on-one drills, we've seen him step up. I remember filming a video and putting it when they, when they when there was one day where they let us film extensively, which they hadn't been doing, and I had a great shot of him, and he quoted it. And the quote that he the, the he just put an emoji, and it was a a meditation emoji above the uh, above my tweet. He had deflected a pass, but in the video he was upset that he didn't pick it. And every time we've asked him a question about a standout, you know, um, play that he's made, it's always been a critique of himself rather than a humble brag. And I've been impressed by his humility. And so when I talked to his coach for I actually, the story came out yesterday, uh, Tuesday morning uh, for the Associated Press. And, you know, so many people have been writing about Nate Hobbs. So I wanted to reach back to when he was in high school. I was shocked to find out that this dude did not get his first uh, serious look until November of his senior year. And he committed in December. Illinois, which at the time was coached by Lovey Smith, was shocked. That there wasn't, I think Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers, was the only one that had an offer on the table. Louisville, nothing. Kentucky, nothing. This dude starred for Chris Wolf at Louisville's male high school. Um, and it is the second winningest high school program in the history of high school football behind Valdosta in Georgia. The mo- second most wins of all time. And Wolf, uh, Chris Wolf said that he never really has to play two-way players, right? You've been out here. You've filmed high school stuff, Heidi. You've, in the past, you've done it for, uh, for, the, for the prep section. Sure. There are guys and stars that are on both sides of the ball. This dude, in 22 years of coaching, has maybe he said he had like a handful of guys that he's ever been able to or wanted to play on both sides of the ball, and Nate Hobbs was one of them. And that he just watched him grow into this remarkable athlete. And he just thought that he was one of the most amazing athletes that he had ever seen and ever come across based on the things that he was able to do that not a lot of his players could do. So when I, cause when I had asked him, you know, are you surprised that he's come in and somewhat just shocked everybody at what his capabilities are? Um, and, and emerged as probably the best rookie draft pick. And he said, no, not at all, because I knew it then. He's probably, he said, he's always said that Nate Hobbs is one of the, if not the greatest uh, high school athlete that he's ever coached. And so, you know, he told, he told, he told a great story about uh, my dog agrees. If you could hear him in the background. I love it. Lewis Let the so dogs well. out. Uh, he, uh, he said that he remembered a play against uh, DuPont manual. They have been playing since the 1800s, this rivalry male ver- male high school versus manual high school. And he remembered it was a touchdown sp- uh, margin, the waning moments of the game, quarterback for manual drops, Bob heaves up a Hail Mary and at the goal line, Hobbs catches it, intercepts it. And they're all, they're all excited. The team's yelling, everybody's, and he, and, and the coach is yelling, okay, take a knee, take a knee, get down, get down. And Hobbs returned at 99 yards. Cause he wanted that exclamation point. And he was like, it wasn't a matter of why he did it. It was the fact that he could, do something like that pull it off and 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 return an interception for you know it was a walk-off pick six but it was so typical Nate he said and he's just always been amazed at the athlete at the athlete that he was and that he's excited he stayed in touch via social media they tweet to one another having you know they're full in they're in full season and they're always challenging for a state title they're sort of like a Gorman in Las Vegas they've been to the state championship three straight years so They've been, he's been entrenched with 
getting his team together and Nate's obviously in training camp. So they haven't really kept in in touch, but uh, other than tweeting to one another on occasion. So I happened to tag both of them in my tweet when I, when I promoted my, uh, the story on Nate. So hopefully they'll, they'll connect that way. And, and, and Nate will be able to see his, his former high school coach um, reflecting and reminiscing and bragging, you know, on, on what he saw long before anybody else, long before Illinois came around and before he had any scholarship offers on the table. Like I said, when Illinois, he said that when Illinois showed up, Lovey Smith's recruiter, whoever it was that recruited him, they were stunned that this dude, they had no competition. All they had to do was give him an offer and he jumped at it because he had no, he had nothing. He, he, he didn't commit till December of his senior year. Most, most top-notch players from big-time programs, they're committed by their junior season or the yeah. end of it or just or before the senior year to get it out of the way. So um, he's obviously been somebody who I thought has stood out. I think a lot of us have. I've been really impressed if we can if you if you to, just to add on with Jonathan Abram. Um, and, ha- and his election to move into the uh, into the box, become a box safety. I yeah. think that's been helpful for not just him, his willingness to adjust under Goss Broadley. I think that's helped the cohesiveness of the aforementioned secondary. I think it's helped guys like Nate Hobbs or Damon Arnett, uh, you know, or even an incoming veteran like Casey Hayward. Abrams had no qualms about it, and because he knows not only is it going to improve the entire unit. It's going to show some, some somewhat of a little bit of it of a leadership and initiative, but it's also going to help his own game because he struggled in open field coverage and getting beaten in long in long passes. And so inside that box with a tighter sort of a tighter connection to the offense and being able to zero in, I think that's helped. And that's in, that's also just immediately helped the secondary as a whole. For sure. So I'm looking forward to seeing a whole lot out of Nate Hobbs. I tell you, in the last two shows I've done, the first time it, his name just came up when I asked about, you know, what player are you looking for uh, this year that's going to stand out and impress? And my last guest, Sig Fracassi from Sirius XM, said Nate Hobbs. Uh, his name is just on the tip of everybody's tongue. And how well he's done so far has been impressive. I can't yeah. wait to see how that carries over to the regular season for sure. But that is all the time that we have for today so if you wouldn't mind Willie let everybody know where they can find you on social media and where that article lives right now yeah check me out on Twitter or Instagram uh, same name Willie G Ramirez W-I-L-L-I-E-G Ramirez R-A-M-I-R-E-Z um, somewhere on my timeline I'm sure I'll be retweeting <laughs> it a little bit and once this podcast comes out and you're hearing this live I will get the tweet out again um for everybody to hear and see at the top of my timeline and my continued coverage this week as they head toward their final preseason game and into the regular season. Looking forward to obviously opening week. So extensive coverage from myself and my colleague, Josh Dubow from the Associated Press. And I thank you for having me on. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you coming on again, Willie. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. And uh, make sure you keep up with all of the stuff that we have out in coverage for the Raiders on digital at VegasNation.com or in print. And give me a follow at Heidi Fang. That'll do it for the Takeaways Edition today. Thank you so much for listening. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Download and get a bonus up to $500 when you sign up at any of our convenient locations.